Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about something that really kind of ticked me off when Joe was explaining it earlier. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open sourced Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So, uh, <laughs> Joe, do you want to kind of uh, run us into this? Apparently, it's a discussion that's been ongoing for a little while. Yeah. I so I read a derivative blog article referencing a blog article that Chris Coyer wrote on CSSTricks.com called The Great Divide. He wrote, this, he wrote this in January of 2019. And in this article, he basically, he's, he's not so much like trying to take any sort of a side. He's, he's basically saying, hey, there's a divide that's going on right now where on one side of this divide, we have the developers whose interests and responsibilities and skill sets are heavily revolved around JavaScript. And on the other side is those whose interests, responsibilities, and skill sets are focused on other areas of the front end, like HTML, CSS, design, interaction, patterns, and accessibility. The problem is, is that when you say the word front end developer, you mean both groups of people. And very frequently, in my experience, certainly most frequent, frequently, those two don't overlap a lot. Like there's the people who think I'm a JavaScript developer and yeah, I know HTML and some CSS and stuff, but that's not really what I love doing. I, I want to figure out algorithms and solve algorithmic problems. And on the other side are those who just love figuring out the CSS and getting, the, getting that right and tuning the HTML correctly, making sure the accessibility is right, the design is right, the UX, all that sort of stuff, right? That we're using good patterns to convey things to people, which both things obviously are extremely difficult, right? But we have this problem that we're calling them both front-end developers. And so he wrote this article, and it's been a, a pretty popular article. A lot of people have been talking about it and arguing about it over Twitter. And there's derivative articles and he references another one. So that's kind of the the gist. And I think it's really interesting that this is kind of going on right now. I certainly, I certainly identify with that as well. But uh, that's what I wanted to talk about. And I, apparently I, I triggered Chuck. So Chuck's not triggered. He's ready to rant. I, I hope he uses the word dumpster fire a few times. <laughs> we haven't heard that word enough on here. You're, you're muted, Chuck. Yeah, in fact, I had the Zoom thing pop up and said, you're muted. If you want to talk, hit these keys. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the part of it that got me going was you talked about basically the story of the developer that goes in. Yeah, let me... Um, interview. You want to run through that real quick? Yeah, so this is Laura Schenk. And on CSSTricks.com, she wrote a blog article called Tales of a Non-Unicorn, A Story About the Trouble with Job Titles and Descriptions. This was published back in... May of 2015, right? It's a great article about when how she was an extremely, 
extremely experienced HTML, CSS engineer. And she went in for a job whose descriptions were really, really matched her skill set, right? She gets in, she does most of the interview. They're asking her all these really complex questions about HTML, CSS, accessibility, et cetera. She's nailing everything. And then they say, are you familiar with FizzBuzz? And she says, no. And then he explains that FizzBuzz is a program where you have you print out numbers and if they're multiples of three, you print out Fizz instead of the number. And if they're multiples of five, you print out Buzz. And if they're multiples of both, you print out FizzBuzz. And they ask her to write an algorithm. And she's like, first she freaks out. She says, oh my gosh, math. I... But she says, to be honest, uh, you know, my JavaScript knowledge is more about re- resolving or revolving around UI, UX. So I don't really understand the point. Like, what's the use case? When would this come up in the role that I'm interviewing for? And they said, well, it's an exercise in programmatic thinking. So then they give her, they said, well, let's just move on. And then he gives her another algorithmic problem, write a function that takes a time code string and turns it into seconds, right? Again, mm-hmm. right? Not really about the job. And so she ends up not getting the job. They, they let her go home and work on the, the uh, problem, but she ends up not getting the job. And she was like, the job description and everything that was in there uh, really fit what was my skills. And yet, because I wasn't, you know, the, an algorithmic coder, I didn't get the job. All right. So this is the rant. And this is this is the big issue. Like, usually I hear stuff like this and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, the, the employer kind of had a point and she kind of had a point. And, you know, and most of the time I can kind of come around to that. In this case, the employers are idiots. Okay. <laughs> they, they are. Okay. And, and this is what drives me nuts. You would not believe how many times I get emails from people and what they're saying. Sorry, I'm going to rant for a couple minutes. We're ready. But but they basically say, we put a job listing out and we can't find any senior developers. Well, I'm sorry, but senior developer is not a freaking job role. It's not, okay? What do you want them to do? You want them to show up with their five years of experience? Good for freaking you. Good for you, right? I mean, what do you want them to do? You don't want them to sit in a chair. You don't want them to have five years experience. You want them to solve a freaking problem. Okay, right? So I went to a really large company and interviewed for a job that I was told by people at the company that I was perfect for, but that they couldn't hire me because very similar to the story that we heard from Joe, my algorithm uh, logic, I don't really know how you classify that, wasn't strong enough. I got through the problems, but um, essentially they said, I, I talked to him afterwards. I was just like, I'm really confused because it's it's not a part of what I would be doing on the day-to-day. Um, it was more of an advocate and teaching role and a little bit of development. But um, as far as like computer science logic mm-hmm. and algorithms, that, that wasn't a part of it. And um, they said that they would rather miss out on perfect candidates than accept candidates that just shouldn't have made it in. And so they said that re- that's their reasoning. And then they also said that that it's kind of a a safety net for their company if you pass this level bar like this this bar of computer science knowledge and whatever team you're on fails for some reason they know that they can move you over to any other team because you have this basic level of what like with logicking i guess um even though it it would have nothing to do with the day-to-day job itself. So uh, not to, like, I guess to play devil's advocate or whatever, those are, I don't know if you want to speak into those reasons, but those are the two reasons I was personally told. Uh, so can I go back to the idea of these people being idiots? Because <laughs> you proved my point, right? 
Well, <laughs> yeah. well, just so you know, I got rejected from Google twice, and that was basically what they. I don't think they actually told me this, but that was how they operate, right? Yeah. Like, I got rejected yeah. from Google twice for. But the thing is, is you're hiring people to solve a problem, right? And so, if they can solve a problem, then you hire them. <laughs> and as far as being able to move them to another team, if you don't have a place for them anymore, then you nicely help them find somewhere else to be, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have any responsibility to move them that, to that other team. They may not be happy on that other team. <laughs> Doing it's, algorithms. <laughs> it's, not your, it's not your job. You want the best people in the right seats on the bus, okay? Yeah. And yeah. so what you do is you sit down and you figure out, if, how, how do I know if this person can do this job? And then you ask them the relevant questions. You still don't know. By the way, if you ask them all the right questions, you still don't know. You <laughs> give them a bit of work to do so you can tell if they can actually do the job. Mm-hmm. And then you hire them. And if they have a CS degree and that's your requirement, then make them hang their diploma up. But <laughs> the job, right? I mean, this is the thing that drives me nuts is there are so many people out there and they're like, well, we need people with these qualifications. No, you don't. You need somebody who can do the freaking job that you need done that yeah. you can afford. That's it. But that's my rant. And it drives me, it just drives me crazy because it's like, oh, well, well, we need a front-end developer who can reverse engineer half of Vue.js. No, right. you don't. Okay? You don't. You just need somebody who can write Angular and can get the features in that you need so that your customers keep sending you money. That's what you need. Okay? Right. right. So that's interesting. Like in this article, they talk about a couple of points, but one of them is job descriptions, right? Mm, so let's yeah. let's dig into that a little bit. In the article, um, for another rant. Yeah, he points out <laughs> Corey Ginevan, uh, who says, "I love job descriptions to be more vulnerable and open. Let people know what you want to achieve, specifically what they'll be working on, but open it as a growth opportunity for both parties." So he references this one. Uh, Chris Coyer, I think, references this from uh, CodePen. This is the job description, front-end developer. We're looking to hire, and it's like, unlike most, which is like X number of skills, you know, like a bullet point, this is actually like a paragraph, right? We're looking to hire a front-end developer at CodePen. Specifically, we're doing a lot of work with React and Apollo GraphQL. We're building new areas and features of CodePen as well as supporting existing areas of it away from our jQuery, or porting, sorry, not supporting, porting existing areas away from jQuery and Ruby on Rails setup uh, to this. This job will be integral to CodePen's growth and expansion into new ideas. Ideally, you're comfortable with React and Friends environment. You've worked on medium to large web applications written in JavaScript. You embrace unit testing. You're HTML, CSS, and design competent. While we hope this work is up your alley and React is your thing, we'd hope that you're also excited about the idea of working on CodePen. Like you use it and you get it. And then they talk about the team and then they talk about the product. So I thought that was kind of an interesting point of like, make your job descriptions more about, hey, you. I want to know, you just need to have these things and instead say, this is what you're going to be doing. And we feel like ideally you'd have these interests and, you know, some background in these sorts of areas, right? Yeah. And well, and what makes this really a great job listing is that it feels to me like they already know who they want, right? They want somebody who will do testing. They want somebody who wants to work with React and GraphQL, they're design competent, right? And so I can read through this and I can say, you know what? I hate testing. I'm, I'm, I'm out, right? I saved them a whole bunch of trouble. They saved them a whole bunch of trouble. But when yeah. you list a whole bunch of technologies and then say, here are our benefits, like most job posts, mm-hmm. it, you're, you're going to get everybody and their dog who, who can do three of them. Right. 
And you don't you don't get somebody that wants the job. They right. like the benefits and the pay. They get into the job. And granted, it's really hard to know because of culture and those sorts of things too. They could still get into the job and hate it. But when you actually tell them, we're supporting a legacy application, we're building new features, we're doing both, right? We're, we're using these technologies, then, yeah. yeah. Well, and they speak to the culture here too with the team and the product. And, you know, so they're talking about who... This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we're about. And, and that's the whole point, right? Is then you get people to opt out on the things that are important to you. And you get people in who are going to match up. And then you can ask them all the questions. You can ask them about their skill set. You can ask them about you know, how well they learn. I got a job, my first development job, I got it on how well I picked stuff up. I didn't get that job on my skill set. Right? So, oh, right. Not like, like off concepts. the floor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Chuck, you really lifted that box well. Do you want to be a developer? <laughs> that's I got right. where my mind went at first. I was yeah, like, that's lifting that's... things. <laughs> you're really, you're really good with that broom, Chuck. <laughs> but but yeah, you know, um, I went into the interview uh, and they asked me questions and I explained the concept, you know, is it something like this? And then I would ask follow-up questions and get them to explain it to me. That's how I got hired, right? Is because they figured that I could figure it out. And I don't think they had very many candidates. But I mean, that, that's the thing. And then when people come in, you know what you want, right? So then it's not a big surprise. Oh, well, we're going to hire you to work on our front end stuff and make it look nice and, and build these features in. And surprise, you've got to have this deep algorithmic background that typically we need in our back end, right? Right. So I had a, an interesting, you know, sort of experience parallels along this. And around the time of 09, I decided consciously I wanted to move to the front-end world. And so I looked around for jobs and I found this job. It kind of basically said front-end developer. And at the time, front-end developer in 09, front-end developer wasn't really such a common job, job title. If, I think it, maybe it was, but again, in that time, it only referred to people who did HTML and CSS. It wasn't like JavaScript developer. Jo Full-time JavaScript was like not even a thing, really, but with very rare exceptions. And so, no, only if it was really, really like jQuery heavy or something. Yeah, right. So I looked around, I ended up, but I, what I wanted was I wanted to do JavaScript. I really wanted to do JavaScript. So it was like 09, 2010, somewhere in that range. And I found, I answered this job in listing and they wanted JavaScript. So I knew it, I got on. And really what they ended up wanting me to actually do was they had this really big system using a .NET backend that used CSS to white label other people's sites so that they could plug their engine. It was like a booking engine for um, reserving rooms. Mm -hmm. They could plug their engine in to somebody else who needed a booking engine on their website. And they actually handled that for these companies. And they would, using this very complex CSS, be able to white label and make their stuff look exactly like the other thing. And that's what it was, is it was actually managing, either doing a lot of CSS or managing the engine that managed the CSS because they had their own cascading that worked on top of CSS itself, right? Where they had these default files. And if you put a file in, then they would use in this directory, they would use that one instead of the default one when they generated all the CSS and put it out. So it was really right. complex. Wow. But it was very CSS specific, right? Yeah. And for me, that like I was doing no JavaScript essentially at all. And so after a month, I went to him and I said, hey, this isn't actually what I thought I was going to do. And at the time, it was kind of funny because they're like, I said, I wanted to be doing like 70% of my time at least programming in JavaScript. And I, like, and for me, I meant algorithmic programming. And so like on my side, that was, that was the problem as I went, I hired the wrong job mm -hmm. uh, at the time. But they did, again, they weren't really explaining what they were doing. 
and the title front-end developer. So that's another big point of this article is the problem is the title front-end developer really means two widely, you know, fairly disparate skill sets. They might overlap a little bit, mm-hmm. but those skill sets are really specialized. And I've certainly seen that. They work on a team of 20. There's that one person who knows HTML, CSS, like the back of their hand. And every time you're like, man, I just cannot get this to work, right? That's the person you go to and they figure it out. Or... They come over, they're they're the ones doing all the animations, right? Because, oh my gosh, I just cannot get these animations. I I don't know how many times I watch Alyssa's talks, but I just cannot figure out how to make my animations work. Uh, You have to be as smart as Alyssa. Do you both? Well, and honestly, I like to draw this like, it's like a gauge. And it's basically like over on the left-hand side of the gauge is like design and things like, you know, UI, UX. And then in the middle, like as you creep up towards the middle, you're hitting um, markup and then JavaScript. And then you have, there's different parts of JavaScript. So like I'm, when you talk about doing algorithmic JavaScript, I kind of get sick to my stomach. Or when people talk about testing, I'm like, why, God, why? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would put those farther, you know, I'll keep going down. And then eventually you're going to hit the back end, right? Like where you're starting to overlap what JavaScript does and what backend languages can do. And then, you know, you're a full-blown backend developer. And so I feel like we only have so much time in the day to conquer a slice of this pie. And so everyone falls, you know, a little bit differently. Like they know a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. But that's the way I've always viewed it. Do you guys feel like when you hear the word front-end developer, like what, how big is this slice of pie for you personally? So for me, and, and this is the issue, you know, this is why I disagree with it. It's either this skill set or that skill set. For me, when I say front-end developer, it can mean anything past the barrier of whatever the server serves up, right? So the server's job is to give a response to the request, Okay. So it's, hey, get me this page. So it serves up the JavaScript files, it serves up the HTML, it serves up, right? It might respond to an API with JSON, but then everything else on the front end that reacts to that can be considered front end development. And so you may be anywhere on that spectrum. You may be on the more designy CSS, animations, or even just mocking it up in Photoshop, anywhere from there all the way up to making the request to the back end to get more data. But what about what about front end designers, right? Yeah. Like cuz I went Any to school for web development and design and I was taught that there's two roles. There are front end designers and there are front end developers. And now it kind of feels like I don't like Joe was saying it's like all one big mashup and we've added in some yeah. in my opinion back end javascript. So yeah. that's why I hate the term front end developer is cuz it can mean <laughs> any of it. Hmm. Any of it, right? You could be good at different pieces of it. And you're working on anything past that browser barrier, you're front-end developer. And, and that's the problem, right? And this is, the, I guess, the final part of both of the rants that I did before is that both the companies and the people applying to them need to sit down and figure out what they want, right? What do we want these people to be able to do? And then just make sure that they're qualified for that. And on the other end, to Joe's point, right, when he said that he got that job, you need to sit down and figure out what you want to be doing and then go find a company that wants you to do it badly enough to pay you for it. Right. Well, so to answer Alyssa's question, when I hear that developer, this was, until I read this article, I really had this like kind of default view. And that was from the far left-hand side of that gauge, right, all the way to like 
everything, you know, the, the middle eights, the, the road JavaScript, the most complex algorithmic JavaScript, state management, Redux, all that sort of stuff, starting there and moving forward all the way into, and then you had to kind of had this, like it faded out somewhere around the markup CSS, right? Mm-hmm. And that was what a front-end developer was. Some front-end developers, as soon as the team gets big, a certain, past a certain point, you need at least one person whose shift is really far to the right-hand side, whatever side it is, it's the HTML and CSS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are rare. And, I, and so for me, my default thought for a front-end developer was it was very much on that left-hand side. But now that I read this, I realize that's not how things actually are operating. You know, there's a bunch of people out there that are doing that other th- side and they're applying for front-end developer positions. They consider themselves to be front-end developers and their titles are front-end developers. And yet that's not, you know, we have this communication problem about what their job is. Yeah. Well, my business coach, it was funny because he has a process for hiring people and he specifically tells you not to put the name of the job on the uh, job listing. So instead what you do is you actually, I'm looking for somebody who can XYZ PDQ I'm looking for somebody who can help us with these problems, who can solve those problems, who can help with these other things, who has these skill sets, who will fit into a team like this. And that way, people can actually opt in without making the prejudgment of, oh, front-end developer, that's me, and then find out, oh, they're looking for somebody who's much more on the design end or much more on the algorithmic end or much more on the component end or much more on the whatever Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full-stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. Let's move into the second part of this talk or this blog article, which was where they talked about pay rates, right? So they kind of moved into this phase where they said, another problem that's going on here is the companies, the pay rates for the HTML, CSS, accessibility side of things tend to be significantly lower than on the algorithmic side. And people are are finding that and that there's like a, a fair amount of angst about what's going on there. And of course, there's a, a, you know, plenty of, well, it's just as hard to do either one, right? And somebody on the other, somebody on the other side could say, well, simple economics. But uh, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Wait, right. I don't get it. What does that mean? Well, just supply and demand, right? Like, oh. if the need was so high and the supply was super, super, super low, then the pay rates would skyrocket, Right. So you're saying that be, That's it's partially true. because partially. there are more people that are better at designing. So that's why those based jobs on, go for Well, cheaper. based on the number of people, like the need for it. But personally, I don't think that's as simple as it is. But let's, no. let, like, let me dig into that a little bit, right? If a company decides out of 20 developers, we need one person that's really good with the HTML and CSS, right? And then we need 19 front-end developers that are just going to be programming JavaScript, doing our React you know, building the React stuff. And then the other person is going to be jumping around from person to person, tuning up their HTML and CSS and making sure it's maintainable and well-crafted and accessible, 
they might make that decision. In that case, you know, the demand is therefore 5% or, you know, 120th on that side is on the other side. And if the ratio of people is more like, say, a quarter or an eighth or something like that, then yeah, you're going to see the, a pay disparity. So that, that right there is definitely simple economics. But there's something more complex that goes on there. And that is when companies, they make you know, conscious decisions that we need this type of a, a role filled, right? We need a person with these skill sets to fill this role and not these other skill sets. And that is a lot more complex, right? Because you can say, well, it's okay if my HTML and CSS, if we're a small company, if that's less tuned because we need the, the functionality to work. And somebody else might come along and say, you're polluting the internet <laughs> with your garbagey website that is 12 megs in size, right? And you have this unmaintainable piece of garbage CSS that you've put together and it's super unresponsive and you're losing business and money, right? Where the rubber meets the road. And not necessarily everybody realizes that. So discuss. Yeah, I, I agree. I think to some degree it's basic economics, right? If I can find somebody who can do the same job for 60K as somebody who can do it for 80K, I'm going to pay 60K, right? And so, you know, and a lot of that has to do with supply and demand, but not all of it. Some folks will actually go off of, yeah, the perceived value of, of what that person is, right? So when they get kicked in the head, you know, by somebody posting a blog article about how awful their website is, then yeah, the perceived value of somebody who has that other skill set goes up. And so, yeah, it, it really does come down to a cost-benefit analysis as well. So I, I completely agree with you, Joe. And it also is affected by what level of person you want to hire, right? And which so I've, yeah, and, and you're certainly your budget. So I went through a process where we had some problems with our, uh, with Thinkster, we had a problems with our email address list, which is crazy big, you know, a quarter million email addresses, and we were having some problems with them. And I needed answers. And the value of getting the right answer was so high that, you know, one, I spent a lot of time on it. And two, when people came to me and were asking for like $200 an hour to consult on it, I was nodding my head and saying, sure. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a very specific niche need in the marketing side. But long term, if I was to like consider hiring a marketing person, I might be looking for more like a mid to low tier at more entry level type marketing person because of just how I feel like the businesses are. So the demands just stay, they could stay in this hey, we're okay with more entry level people with just a couple of years of experience. We don't need somebody with 15 years of experience in HTML, CSS, and accessibility, right? We're okay with hiring the person who has two or three years of experience that still they enjoy, you know, they, they're passionate about this, then they like doing this. We want that person, but with a couple years of experience. So therefore, we're going to set our pay rates as we're only going to pay 50000 And now the person with 15 years experience doesn't have enough high-level gigs to compete for. They have, their rates start falling and falling for the, those reasons. So it also is, that's another aspect of it. It's not just purely economics. It's also decisions that companies make as to, you know, what is the right person to fill this role? They need to have that conversation before they hire somebody to fill that role. Right. Well, and I think we have a good grasp on the programmer side, right? Like everybody understands you need a programmer to write a program, right? I don't think everybody considers how complex and difficult and important having well-crafted HTML is and therefore weighing it out enough. And you'd have to kind of make an experiment, especially with a smaller company. We're going to go hire somebody who's really high-end at this stuff and pay them a lot of money. And we don't know 
even with you know developers, it's not always obvious at the end what the result was, right? Yeah. Could we have gotten the same thing out of somebody that was half as much? Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think I think the other thing that you said was key. I'm going to put a little more emphasis on on what you said is that we're also going to go hire somebody to fill this role, right? It's not mm. we're not going to go hire some widget to fill this role. And I think right. a lot of times the companies, uh, you know, and it's an easy trap to fall into. I need a programmer to, to, you know, to solve my problem without keeping in mind that we're also hiring a person. And right. so they, they go in and they, they don't account for any of the other stuff either. And so they don't consider what an asset they're going to be to the team based on who they are. Right. They just consider that based on their skills. And so they get so tied up around a lot of this stuff that they, they miss a lot of these other aspects. But yeah, it, it all goes into the stuff that we're talking about skills, personality, cultural fit. I mean, all this stuff. But yeah. Alyssa, you haven't weighed in very much recently. Weigh in on this whole pay rate thing. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we look at companies like they're too much to the enemy when I feel like if I was in the company's position, I would hopefully do it better. But I just can't say that I would because there's so many other variables. You know, like a lot of times the people hiring might not have the ability to pay more, even if they want to, even if they value what they're hiring right. for. So I would love to bash companies right and left, but I also feel for them. And that sounds sad because like, I mean, large companies don't need people to defend them. But I just think, gosh, if it was a perfect world, maybe, but... <laughs> I'm a pretty capitalist person myself, right? <laughs> so I believe a lot in those principles and I run a small business now and I have to make those hiring and firing decisions. So I certainly don't want to, I, I don't like the idea that, hey, you know what we need? We just need all the companies out there to just simply pay more. And that <laughs> somehow that, that would work, right? Like that doesn't work, right? No. <laughs> no, they, they need to get better at identifying the right people and paying them, you know, the right salary. Right. But the, the flip side is, is the people also need to get better at identifying the right companies and making sure that it's a good fit because in the end, it costs both groups. And to Alyssa's point, yeah, I mean, we bash on the companies that are doing a poor job of this because it's easy, right? But there are a lot of companies that are doing it right or at least doing it better. The, the thing is, is we're not hearing those horror stories. <laughs> and, and those are the ones that are calling me up or texting me and going... <laughs> How do I hire a senior developer? Can you get us one? I'm like, yeah, let me run down to Kmart. You know, <laughs> right, it's just, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, like, no, you're doing it wrong. And the second I go there, they're like, <laughs> they don't want to hear it. They, they just want an easy fix of, oh, well, my buddy next door. Yeah, it's like the story I shared with you, Chuck, when Joe was gone was that, you know, my brother-in-law, he he told me probably like six to eight months ago, he was like, hey, my, my he goes to seminary. He's like, my school's hiring a web developer. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He told me last night, he's like, they still haven't filled that web dev position. And we were looking at the description of this web dev position and it was talking about managing oh. their social media and oh. Instagram account. <laughs> wow. That's a different I, job. Was, I was like, so as a developer, if I read this description, I'd probably just keep going because that's not a developer job. Like, and so it's, and I would probably assume whoever, you know, was hiring for this had no idea what they were looking for because why would they label it that and then write such a conflicting description? And so I, I wouldn't want to work for that person. And so I was like, so I wouldn't even try giving them a call up being like, hey, what's up with the, conf you know, like I wouldn't, I would just keep moving and keep my job hunt going. And so right. it's not a surprise to me that, you know, eight months later, they're still looking for a web developer in quotes. So I, 
I think it is, it does come down to if there is a disconnect with the person writing, because I know I've had this happen before where the person who wrote the description wasn't even a part of the team, like that, you know, that you'd be on the dev team. Right. And so it's just, I think it's super key, like to have whoever is um, like public facing, like whoever's, you know, writing those things or reaching out to people that they have a little bit better knowledge uh, to represent your company. So. (laughs) All right. Well, I, I have to take off. You guys can keep talking if you want, or we can do picks. Let's let's do picks. I'm, Joe, do you have anything yeah. else you want to say? No, let's let's go ahead and do picks. Yeah, I, I could say so much more about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got one quick more question then. It would should we change the titles? Should we make not use front end developer to refer to those things anymore? And or is this not is the problem not that? Is the problem just how clearly we communicate and not that we should have some very clear title to the separate separate amount? What I tell people. I tell people both who are looking for jobs and who are hiring to find the top three things that matter to them and then vet the potential employees or the potential employers on those three things. Mm -hmm. And with the employers in particular, they have the benefit of being able to list those three things as the job title. You know, we want somebody who does react, who really cares about this particular aspect of this industry. And who can help us level up on our team? Gotcha, Alyssa. What about you? I think like continue using them is fine um, because I just don't see them going anywhere. But I think immediately after you use it in your description, you need to clarify which which piece of the pie are you covering as the front end of, just so that people don't waste time interviewing for the wrong position. So I think if you're going to use it, make sure you're descriptive. <laughs> So what about you, Joe? Do you have another name in mind like that we could <laughs> um, start spreading? I actually think that there's a relatively, there's plenty of jobs that you do a lot of things. You're a developer. I, got, I know a friend who's a developer, web developer, and manages their like physical development process. Like they built a building and he managed that process while he was also doing development. So we don't need to think of a job title for that. But I think in general that these two things tend to have a, and I, I mean, again, in general, maybe 60, 70% of the time, there's a clear enough divide between the people that handle those things that it could. And a designer doesn't fit it because they're not the people that are actually like sitting down and thinking up what color scheme are we going to use, right? So that's, it's not it. But I think that there would be value in having another term, you know? Yeah. HTML expert doesn't really, this isn't, that's not a job <laughs> title, but I think there would be value if there was another term. Yeah, the problem is, is that other term may then begin to encompass too much. Right. That's, that's why I tell people, look, just, just tell people what you want instead of telling them what job title you want them to have. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com angular. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. 
As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triple Byte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right. Um, I've got to take off. So I'm going to do my picks first and then I will let you guys okay. wrap up. My first pick is, um, I've been listening to this book and I've just been really, really loving it. It's kind of tangentially related to what we're talking about. It's called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And it's a business book, but it essentially he goes into like aviation and medicine and talks about all of the benefits that came out of them starting to use checklists as they did surgeries or took off on an airplane or apparently pilots have checklists for everything. So if something goes wrong in the airplane, they pull up their manual on the computer and actually just go down the checklist and, you know, and then they handle things properly in the air and don't crash. Anyway, it's been really, really good. And uh, I encourage teams as they start onboarding people and in their hiring processes and, you know, maybe deployments or wherever there's pain because you forget a step, make a checklist and then make people check it off as they work through it. Mm -hmm. But then what you do is in your hiring process, you make sure that you've got all your bases covered. You know, when you onboard somebody, you make sure that they have access to everything that they have to access and then things get done the right way. So yeah, there's my pick. Cool. So Joe, my pick is stolen from stolen. <laughs> your yeah, from <laughs> from Mike Mike Dane, but I've been having a blast. Oh. It's the hundred days CSS challenge. And uh. you go to hundred days CSS.com. And it's really cool because you do the challenge and you do it in a code pin. And then you upload your challenge and you get to look at everyone else that day who uploaded their their solution to that challenge. And then the next day will be a new one. And so right now I think we're on day 39 and I'm competing with my husband <laughs> to make the best solution for it. But, and you know, there's simple things that can be done uh, in CSS. And I think yesterday people were using JavaScript. We're trying to be uh, purely in CSS, but I think some things obviously need like for on clicks or what have you. Um, but yeah, it's been fun and I really like it. So I'm stealing that pick. So <laughs> Awesome. Wow. That's, that's cool. You know how you said that when you hear the word algorithm, you get sick in your stomach? Yes. So I pulled open the date, number 39. Yeah. Example, I click the little two little lines and then they animate open and show yeah. that like this is like a navigation menu and I just got mm -hmm. sick to my stomach thinking about how <laughs> this. Oh, oh my God. Just like, my, my tummy is in a roil so and I've funny. got stress. My, I think my <laughs> blood pressure just spiked. The thing that my mind does when I see this is I break to, I immediately start breaking down, okay, you're going to do this step first and then we'll want that one to happen that way. So we'll have to structure the markup this way. Like I just dive right in. I love it. So that's so funny that that makes you sick. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, so what is your pick? Is, okay. it, is it fun? So I'm going to do a related pick here. I definitely identify with being that other side, the JavaScript algorithmic side of this uh, thing, whatever this thing is, debate, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? But on the other hand, I also understand that there are things about HTML, CSS, uh, images, and design that I don't do well at that I would like to be better at. I don't necessarily feel like I... Like, when I looked at this challenge, I was like, this is complex enough. Right, I'm just too a little bit too scared. That's too far away from what. But I want to be, I want to take that next step. I want to be farther along that path, or as you said, that like angle of the graph. That yeah, you, you want to widen your piece of pie a little bit more. I right? want to widen my yeah. piece of pie a little bit. I recently discovered this amazing offering. It's not particularly cheap. It was $150, but it's this thing called the Refactoring UI Book. Okay, 
And so this guy built this and he, and he takes it from a very much a developer standpoint. I mean, his whole, you'll, you will love this. I can't believe I haven't told you about this. His whole marketing pitch is, are you depending too much on Bootstrap? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so his whole thing is specific techniques. For, but it's from a, he calls it from a developer standpoint, programmer standpoint, right? So I think he's, he's trying to market to people that are like me. That are say, he's like, you can understand this, you can get this, and I'm going to give you a bunch of tools that are not only going to help you get some of the basics, but also like, so it's a bunch of PDFs that you buy. And one of the okay. PDFs is a uh, color palette list. And so I think there's 14 of them. And each color palette has like eight or 10 hex codes for your primary color. These are like, and it says underneath here, these are your main actions, the things that are like the yeses and the things you really want to draw the eye. And then there's 10 more hex codes for secondary and they're all like versions of each other. And the secondary ones are more dull. And he says, this is the one you're going to use a lot on your website, right? And then there's a tertiary section. And usually the tertiary section is like 20 or 30 different hex codes. And he's like, these should be just sprinkled in just a little bit here and there. You should rarely use these. They just add a little bit of accent, right? But your Mm -hmm. primary and your secondary are what you mainly use in the primary, use less than the secondary. And then, so there's those color palettes. Then there's a big thing of component design. So, hey, you want a login page? Here's 10 different layouts for how a login page would work. And he doesn't have any HTML or CSS for them. He's just kind of showing... These are different ways to lay it out. And then he's got the actual book, which talks, it's so cool. It talks from a very holistic standpoint. And then he has a couple of videos, but also he has this YouTube channel where he'll go through and he'll take an existing website that somebody has sent to him and he pulls um, it open and I guess, I'm not sure what tool he's using, Sketch maybe? Does that sound right? Oh, Sketch. yeah. Sketch is very popular right now. It's kind okay. of like a replacement for like the Adobe suite. Gotcha. An alternative. So he's using this and he'll go through and he'll break it down and analyze it from a very... You know, it makes sense to me. I feel like it's very algorithmic. He's like, okay, notice that here in this bar, there's this color separation, but we actually don't necessarily need it because of this thing. And, oh, let's talk about the typography, the fonts here. There's Mm -hmm. this problem. And like, he has this big section where he just talks about don't overuse size on fonts to (laughs) indicate importance, right? There are Mm -hmm. other ways to indicate importance, like changing the weight of a font and then the opacity. And he goes through and says, don't go too far over here because then you cause these problems and don't do this. But you can, you know, and he just like lays it out. And I've, it's, I just did a little bit of reading. I've already radically changed my view on, oh, there's other ways to look. And it even affects when I'm doing like a Google Doc where Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like organize the Google Doc. You know, like I don't need to use all of those headings. And he has really good advice. And they're like, never let the default most people say is or put out for the design of an element constrain you in how you design that element. So if you want an H, the H1 is for the semantic reasons, but that doesn't have to reflect the design. In fact, you might decide that your content is good enough that you don't need the headings to be there. So you just leave them in the HTML for accessibility, but you actually hide them right. in the actual design, right? And I love that, that he's thinking about still, because I've, for people, like I've had to help refactor and people would just rip them out because they don't stylistically need them. And for, you know, someone using a screen reader, that's detrimental. So yeah, I love that he's, he's thinking of both sides of that. That's really awesome. Yeah. And he has a section. Uh, The refactoring UI book. Refactoring UI. Yeah. And I just barely started following him on Twitter. So I don't remember the name of the guy uh, anymore, but he has a little YouTube channel where he does this, but like his section on labels where he talks about, you don't have to label every element in your 
design, like say name, you don't have to put name colon because it's usually going to be pretty obvious that what their name is, right? So take those off. But you, you know, you might leave them in for accessibility, but you can take them off for during the, you, you hide them in the design, right? And he actually has these series of tweets where he gives design tips. And man, it's crazy. They'll, they'll have like 3000 likes and 800 retweets. And he just puts in this big graphic that shows like one specific technique or tip about Anyway, super wow, cool. this is legit. Like, because it's refactoringui.com slash book. Right. Like, I'm going through looking at like a lot of what you're talking about and more. It's there's a lot that he goes. Oh, yeah. Super cool. And it's so great because it's not just one ebook that you're downloading, there's a big suite of things that's a part of it. So I definitely felt like it was worth it for me to pick up and pay the money for. So awesome. there you go. That's that's my pick. That's a big long pick, <laughs> right? I love it. <laughs> uh, we're buying a big testimonial for this. I guy. am very proud of you, and I want you to know that I still do work on my uh, my backend JavaScript. So, <laughs> I, I the first thing I did was dive into observables, and <laughs> and I'm continuing down that road and trying not to throw up. But that I, I keep I keep at it, man. So I love that. You when are you going to learn uh, Nest.js? Oh, so. Do you suggest, is it? Because I keep hearing about it and I usually wait until I've heard about it, like bashed over the head kind of thing right. until I'm like, all right, fine, I'll learn it. That's how at least it was with it. Well, you might be hearing about it a lot just for, because of me and you and I. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, I hear a lot of good stuff about it too. So, uh, so it definitely, definitely awesome. needs to be on the list. Okay. You should go on the list. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening. And I hope, uh, I don't know, I don't know how he closes this out. Uh, does he have like a call sign? Like a, <laughs> we're signing off now. <laughs> oh, uh, Joe, do I have to hit stop or how does nope. that happen? No. When we, when we end it, the recording ends. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.